0: Hey, you up all night, tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble falling asleep. Well, welcome. I think, I hope you're in the right place. Because Sleep With Me is proud to present Game of Thrones. The Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep every Sunday night. And we do it with an episode discussion. Now, if this is your first time here, you don't watch Game of Thrones, you don't know what this podcast is about, I'm going to tell you what it's about. What the podcast does is it helps you fall asleep. I think I might have said that already. What we're going to do is we're going to create a safe place where you can set aside any thoughts that are racing. Um, you can, as Taylor Swift says, shake it off. Shake those thoughts off. Like in the wonderful song, Shake It Off, she says, shake it off. And I do mean wonderful. I love that song. I said it before. And I, then I heard it again today, and then I just listened to it about 10 minutes ago, watched the video, and oh boy, great, great pop song, and a great message for tonight, believe it or not. Um, a, a really timely message for if you can't sleep, and I'm not kidding. She says, uh, shake it off. Like she's talking about the people that over-criticize her, that talk about her, that tell her what to do that say, Taylor, you can't keep a boyfriend, why is your hair so short, why are your lipstick so red, what's up with that? And she says, you know, I'm going to shake it off, I'm just trying to be me, I'm just trying to do the best job I can, being Taylor Swift. And that's hard enough. I don't need to be Taylor super swift, if if she doesn't mind me paraphrasing for her. And that's the same thing you got to do when you get in bed. Is, uh, you know, I've been coming up with these strange visualizations, and tonight we're going to do a little Taylor Swift. And I want you to just take all those critical thoughts, those angry thoughts, those worried thoughts, those thinking thoughts. Those hated, haters are going to hate, hate, hate. They'll be there in the morning. Shake it off, light, since, you know, not, not like she does in the video, because she's dancing around. Um, and, you know, there's a great moment towards the end which we've seen in some other stuff, too, where she's dancing with a bunch of people from, from, you know, all shapes and sizes. I like it. So I want you to just picture that. Just, you know, just shake it out a little bit and breathe. And those thoughts are just shaking. The thoughts are actually um, earwormed by Taylor's song, and they're actually dancing themselves right off the end of your bed. Watch it go. Look at those thoughts. You never thought. It's like kind of like a blob dancing. Cause their thoughts are dancing off your bed. And they're gonna keep dancing, they don't know what. You're gonna shake it off. Sh- oh, and your thoughts just fell right off the bed. Fell on the floor. They'll be okay. They'll be there in the morning. But they shook it off. Cause your thoughts are on the floor, floor, floor. And now it's time to ignore or or shake it off. Oh, uh, oh, uh, oh. So I, I know I don't have a Taylor Swift voice. And I think I don't even know if I can even keep that. in, How crazy that sounds! If this is your first time here, but I'm glad you're here because that was kind of like a. That's what this podcast is like. So if you stopped it, you know, good on you. If you're still listening, I'm glad you stayed, and hopefully this podcast works for you. it's here. To I talk about stuff like that. I'll try not to get out. You know, too aggressive with the singing, but tangents, tangent city. Welcome to Tangent City, your latest resident, where I go on tangents and I try to bore you. Tonight's going to be about Game of Thrones. I'm going to talk about the episode. I'm going to talk about some stuff that stuck out to me. It's not going to go anywhere. Just like that attempt at a metaphor with a compliment to Taylor Swift did not go anywhere. It's not supposed to. It's supposed to like lighten your mood a tiny bit, maybe, or distract you, or lull you, or soothe you. I'm here. I'm here for one reason only. I'm here to help you fall asleep, all right? And uh it's because I, you know, you know if you've been here before, if you don't, you'll you'll figure it out. We're on the web www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. Uh Game of Drones episodes are sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. You can get a hold of me. Feedback at sleepwithme Podcast. You can get us on Twitter at Dearest Scooter facebook sleep with me podcast you can comment on the website i'd love to hear from you you can send us mail sleep with me pod, podcast.com slash s-a-s-e and that's it uh, i'm glad you're here and i hope i help you fall asleep even maybe we could get to look okay, at two things uh, and then i'll get off this taylor swift tangent uh i love i love that song uh, clearly i'm hooked on it um I have I've heard it three times now fully, and I talked about this in the bloopers, but it's a, I got to figure out, i might have to dissect that song uh, to figure out what the heck's going on there, because it's so, well, great, great pop song. That's one. It definitely symbolizes the struggle for falling asleep. Two. Three, I signed up for Spotify Premium. This is not a sales pitch. Taylor, if you're listening, I understand you're an artist. Spotify is a company, and you need—you know—you're in—you're in a position where you have leverage, and I—I I, I respect that. And I hope you come back to uh, Spotify. I hope you guys resolve it. Spotify, you got a freaking unbelievably talented young woman here, singing her heart out. She's got haters hating on her, so let's work this out, okay? And hopefully. We find a way forward into this new era for artists, and this is not a of uh, how everybody can make a little bit of money or more than a little bit if they de- they deserve it. Like they're selling, like their song "Shake It Off" gets played like eight million times. I would guess it's just a low, low ball in it. Um, but I'm not ta- you know I'm not trying to take sides. But it's like uh, in this new era of non-ownership that we're going into. It's hard to tell. I mean, if you're not going to own music or movies, which I I don't really... Personally, I don't have any interest in that. So, yeah, maybe this new thing. I'm going to test it out. I'll let you guys know how it goes. Paying 10 bucks a month for this Spotify, which I was already enjoying. I already talk about it. And this is not a, you know, I'm not trying to commercialize nobody. I'm just, you know, you guys know how this works. My brain just goes, and I'm just trying to keep up with it. So, Taylor... Um, just think about it, you know. And if you, uh, I, I love your music. Well, I mean, the, the "Shake It Off" and the other songs I've heard. But I, you know, I'd like to. You know, you know, that's my pitch. I respect you, and the stand you're making, and Spotify. Again, I don't know your financials, so I don't know what what what's going on, what the underlying trends are. But I'm just looking to say, what, what's this non music ownership, and then where do we, as a consumer, stand? I don't know. There's making no. That's a tangent. That's how we work here. So let's get on to the episode. Um, first, I'm going to say some thank yous, and then we'll break down the episode. All right. I'm glad you're here, and I hope I helped you fall asleep already. If not, just stay tuned. Time for uh, time for the, the gratitude, uh, um, uh, Crone, sweet Crone, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester. Uh, gods, well, gods, and the new gods, the newest new gods. Uh, this would normally be where I climb aboard the Gratitude Express. And uh, thank you, you uh, gods, for uh, wonderful listeners like uh, Posty Posterson, Christopher over at Sounds Like an Earful, who does our music, or Scott, Sir Scott and Jennifer, or the Lord and Lady of the podcast, of course, and our uh, dearest defrenestrator, Nick Van Core. And all the other people that support our newest uh, member of the uh, team, our glittering, glittering researcher, Stacy. Uh, you know, thank you for those people who are new listeners, gods, like uh, Brad B., Liz the Destroyer, Shauna B., Samara, December Seagull, Supergirly. Uh, let's see, Brad B. is from the website. Liz, Shauna, Samara, December Seagull from Twitter. Supergirlies from Reddit. I know gods this doesn't mean anything to you. Clearly a lot of stuff we're gonna get to. Also, Tish L Dakota. Um I wanna thank you for those new people, gods. There's probably some new reviews. I don't know. I'm gonna get to it because you could tell probably by my voice. Again, I don't I'm not sure. Maybe you gods don't have any personal, um uh whatever you call the thing. Um that you don't have because uh, I'm call you know praying calling what's going on I'm gonna have to drop some uh, something from the book amazing here called Umbrage because uh, last week I was already irritated and I don't want to be that guy from the cartoons shaking his fist up at the sky you know because his uh, wagon collapsed or his bull you know broke his uh, oxen pulling thing and his back's hurt you know, rah, rah rah, but so last week a good friend Chelsea's apartment got robbed. What the heck, Crone? I thought you knew the future. If you only knew the future of the friggin' stuff in Westeros, like spoilers, that's the the one thing I don't want to know about is spoilers. But I do wanna know if someone's gonna be in trouble that I care about, that you know, listens to this podcast or non listens to this podcast. So, poor Chelsea's place got got broken into. That's bad enough. Then, freaking Shannon, who listens to the podcast, place gets robbed. Now I don't know. I, I'm gonna don't even try to put it on me, Jester, or some, maybe you gods are due up to the. What are you guys burglar gods now? Frick! Uh, it's not me, uh, investigator. Uh, Brainiac, listen to this podcast. You'd better be out doing some gumshoe work, not listening to podcasts. Figure out, I don't even know, I'm not outing anybody where they live, but I don't think Chelsea and Shannon live even near each other. You know, three houses apart. No, I'm just kidding. But so that's, and then our listener Mark got some uh, tough news this week, medical news. Uh, I know he couldn't, um, so listen, you know, I'm the angry Umbridge a uh, bearing, uh prayer, or a follower, or whatever. Maybe I'm in Heathen City. I don't know. Um, but I guess I can't be a penitent servant that doesn't stand up to you guys every once in a while. Otherwise, it wouldn't really be doing you a favor. So, what the heck, watch over Shannon, watch over Chelsea, and help Mark for seriousness, God's. Uh, they're probably traumatized by the robberies and Mark's ass is going, through, going, going to be going through a tough time emotionally, physically. He's got some stuff going on. So come on, please help them out. And I'm not even joking because I've been robbed and I know it's scary and I've been with people that have gotten bad news or tough news. Maybe it's not bad. Maybe I, that's me. God. So, but, you know, I, everything's bad to me initially until I've, you know, um, whatever you call it, nuance it now, the one where you sit around and think about it, but you don't think, you just sit in silence, that one. Uh, uh, It'll come to me, but, you know, help Mark, help Shannon, help Chelsea, help everybody else, too. Um, I had a point, guys, maybe I'd save it for the prayers, I know, at the end, but I'm just irritated with, I mean, isn't a prayers or, you know, uh, whatever member of your um, made-up belief system that I made up, mostly, some of it, you know, brought it together. I'm just irritated, gods. I'm thankful and mad at the same time, because I'm a human friggin' being, okay? So that's it. Um, Go ahead, try to get me with a thunderbolt. Did you want to start trouble? You guys know I'm not, so don't, let's just work together. That was the whole plan. I don't like the um, father, the mother, the God's father and the mother, and the uh, maiden I'm attracted to, but, I, you know, I need to. And then the warrior thinks he's hot stuff, so I wanted to get you gods up there. I want to deal with this reaving god and this ralor, too. So let's work together, please. That's my message, and help out some people. All right, I'm trying to help you gods out. I want to, and, Or if you're Westeros-only gods, and this fantasy, you know, if it's only a fantasy fiction, fantasy time machine thing, You know, let me know, and then I'll stop, you know, rolling these poor people into your prayers, thinking the crone's washing over you. And then you get home, your stuff's gone. Freaking Veterans Day dinner, you know, worrying, you know, thinking about our veterans. Shannon gets home, boom, you know, stuff's gone. So, okay, I'm mad. Umbrage done. Uh, Probably not good. I, I probably should, you know, I don't do a lot of umbraging in this podcast. My favorite podcast, Scrub Notes. Some umbrage, good umbrage, but um, you know, I don't, I don't really get umbrage here because I'm not. It's not good for me because I'm. I tend to take it too far. Again, I'm about to start a war with a bunch of gods. That's a good example. So, but you know, if I can't praise you and I can't get mad at you, it's not going to work. So, and that goes for you, maiden. But I'm not mad at you, um, uh, right now. Well, actually, I, you were, I thought you were going to get a hold of me. All right, guys. I gotta move on. I got a show to do. Okay. Now you're distracting me. Holy, holy moly! Oh wait, you know, really. Holy moly is what I'm saying to you. All right, bye. All right, folks. I'm talking about season two, episode two. The train just keeps rolling forward. Uh, The nightlands. And I just—I didn't think of this till just now. In the nightlands, with the crows, is Craster. The cr- you know the white room. In the cr- I can't. That's a that's a, I can't hit those notes. Whoever I don't know who sings that. Um, cream? No, maybe not cream. I don't. Anyway, I'll, it'll be in there, be on the playlist. In the night room. In the nightlands. With your black fur is uh, Sam's smile. I don't know. But so, The, set in the Night Lands, and there's my tribute to The Night Lands with the song. But this opens up with uh, Aria going to the—she's peeing. And uh, this is something—maybe this is every season, episode two, someone's peeing. But we'll, we'll be seeing people go to the bathroom— we already did. Tyrion. What, was that episode two when he peed off the wall? Somebody, you know, if you can look into that. But we're moving forward. Uh, good question. But people go to the bathroom. They're humans. Have we established that they're humans in Westeros? They're human-like. I mean, essentially, yeah, let's just say they're humans. Let's not get into that territory. Okay, then she talks these guys in a cage... And a guy says, a man has a name. I like that. Gold cloaks show up. They say they got a uh, gold, royal warrant for one of the gutter rats. And then uh, that guy, Yorin, pulls out his knife. He says he could shave a spider's arse with this knife because he sharpened it at breakfast or something. And we jump forward. Tyrion walks in on Shae and Varys. And they're having one of those conversations where they're both laughing and getting along, what you say getting along famously uh, would be, I think that's what you say. They were getting along famously. And then uh, they kind of, Tyrion's a little bit jealous, a little bit wary. He's uh, a little mean to Varys. They're talking in, um, you know, whatever, I don't know, you know, talking around stuff. And he says, you know, don't be messing with me. Don't be threatening me. And Varys like, I'm not threatening anybody, man. Varys is kind of like, we're going to be friends. He says, don't threaten me, I'll throw you into the sea. Varys is like, I'll just keep paddling, bro. You know, throw away. Good luck with that. Then comedy starts. They go to, uh, if, well, if that scene wasn't funny for you, they go to a small council meeting. And Tyrion drops out. His sister rips up a thing from Rob or Stannis. I think this one was from Stannis. She rips up and Tyrion says, you've perfected the art of ripping up papers You perfected the art of tearing up paper and then she kind of goes crazy says you have a deft hand deft deft hand at diplomacy raven's a well, raven has come about from uh, the wall says he, you know there's this guy calling himself the king beyond the wall they need some people up here cersei's like no way Northerners are a suspicious bunch, she says. Tyrion's like, well, maybe we, you know, maybe we should help them out. She says, one trip to the wall and you come back believing in snarks and grumpkins. And then everybody has a good laugh at Tyrion. And then we get this, another subtle, subtle humor, Rewatching this stuff, is uh, you go to the Night's Watch, and again, the, the dude that's friends with Jon and Sam, who's got a beard, whose name I don't know, he says he's in the middle of talking, and he's making, like, a big point. Says, you know, I said if the gods wanted us to have dignity, they wouldn't have us fart after we died. And then everyone, no one takes them seriously, and then Sam's kind of looking at all the women, all the Craster's wives. He says it seems a bit greedy to have so many wives. He says, so, you know, don't you think, like, two or three would have been enough? And then the bearded guy's like, hey, I thought we were having a serious discussion here about death and— um And then there's this milkmaid story, kind of turns Sam on, and he's kind of feeling um, a little bit uh, aroused, I guess, or interested in women, uh, titillated, whatever you call it. Then he meets Gilly, who's pregnant, and she's a little bit worried, brings her to John. John's like, dude, what are you crazy? You can't steal this guy's wife. She's like, you can't. She's a person. I can't steal her. She's not a goat can't steal her like a goat then we're in the waste it's hot everybody's lethargic a horse returns the guy that went out on the horse that we were talking about last week he was ended up you know he didn't make it and things aren't things aren't looking good for Khaleesi and Jorah and the rest of the crew then we have Theon on a ship with a woman and Theon's got a pretty high uh, opinion of himself he's you know Talking a big game about how hard he is and how tough he is, and how everyone's gonna be so glad for his return, kind of like a prodigal son prodigal prodigal son story, except that one the dad was glad the kid got back. Then we get this interesting scene uh with Baelish watching people making love or you know whatever, and then Roz crying. And she's sad. And Baelish has a nice line. Sometimes the ones with the most power have the least grace. But then he goes into this terribly menacing story about how he mitigates his losses. So it's like, yeah, you know, who, who's the one with the power and no grace, bro? And then we have another no grace situation. We have Tyrion meeting with this Yano Slint or Jono slant whatever his name is, the head of the um, City Watch. And he's like, dude, you're a scumbag. Not only am I firing you, I'm sending you to be to go to the Night's Watch. Get him out of here. Bron's in charge now. And I mean, couldn't get any sweeter than that. Bron as the head of this the City Watch. <laughs> it's great. Then we're at Arya's camp, and she's with this dude, uh, Gendry. And he's kind of like, uh, she's like, what do they want with you? And he's like, I thought you said they were out to get you. I know you're a girl, I'm not a girl, what do they want with you? He's like, I don't know, you know, the hand came and saw me, both hands, you know, and then they both passed away, you know, met their untimely ends, and then she's like, well, you know, I'm I'm Ned Stark's daughter, and then they have a nice little uh, scene, almost a throwback to, or a throw forward to Princess Bride, because she says, you know, I'm not a lady, and he don't call me lady. And he says, as my lady commands. Then we get Theon arriving in the port. No one's there to greet him. He says he doesn't like wine because it's a woman's drink. He hits on the first woman he sees and not in a polite way. And she's like, I'll give you a ride on my horse. He's like, uh, he's like, you know how important I am. She's like, you think I offer rides to every guy in jewelry that shows up here. And we get this, uh, view of this, uh, Beautiful room with the octopus fireplace and this Theon's uh, uh, dad, Balon, Balon Greyjoy. And he says, You know, it's been, you know, it took you away when you were nine or nine years ago. You know, what what do they bring back to me? They ask him about his jewelry. You get the sudden sense, like, oh, this this dad is uh, not exactly uh, the same freaking uh, Bill Cosby here we're dealing with because he's like, Is that? What's that thing around your neck? Do you pay the iron price for that or the gold price? And then you see Theon almost gulp. Uh-oh. And then he's like, ah, you pay the, you know, the iron price is like taking it. This guy's like, yeah, here's my uh, teachable moment. Don't pay for stuff. Take it. He's like, what kind of shoplifter? You know, I thought I raised you to be a shoplifter. He says, I'll not have my son dressed as a whore. There's a lot of making fun of Theon's outfit, which is really, is a total aside. You know, when you... Especially when you're a kid, which Theon kind of is in in some sense. uh, And you get a new outfit and then you, like, feel great about it. And then you go to school or somewhere and then people make fun of you. Oh, what a crushing blow. And Theon's kind of going through that. You know, when you get some new shoes, I I mean, just an example. I should have known this, but I had gotten these suede dress shoes for school, school shoes with Velcro. So that was two mistakes that – I didn't have an older brother to warn me. Suede shoes are usually only in like every 14 years for about six months. So this was not that time. So suede, suede bad idea. That's how it was brown, I think, and not a hip brown. And then Velcro on dress – or like, you know, dress shoes. So that's a double made fun of whammy. So I I felt like Theon before. So yeah, he gets, and then he finds out the woman he's been going after, or like almost like um, making unwanted advances on, is his sister. And not only is that she's like tougher than him; she's more, her father respects her. He's considers her a warrior, and Theon just a joke. And then we get another scene out on wherever Stannis is at Dragonstone, I think, and uh, we got my buddy. My number one dude, Sir Davos, the Onion Knight, talking to this pirate, Salador San, or something, another hilarious character, and he says something about being a pirate. And you know, uh, Davos says, you know, every time you head out to sea, it's on a promise. He says, just so you know, you're not young. You know, if you, do, you know, pirates don't really grow old. And uh, Salador says, uh, well, only the clever ones, buddy. And he says. You know, Salador son I forget, it's Salador son, I think, or something like that. He says, it's a good name for songs, which is right. And this guy's got such a personality, such i I don't even know what the word is, charisma or confidence, braggadocia. And he talks about how he wants the queen for his prize when he takes the city, uh, Davos' son is kind of like, oh, boy. And then he's like, I never thought you'd have a true believer for a son. Another killer Davos lie. He says, "Eh, he's young yet, don't worry. And, you know, they talk about God. Oh, no, not yet. Okay. And then, you know, he's like, what are you doing with this Stannis guy? The pirate says that to Davos. And he says, this guy chops off your fingers, you fall in love with him. And then it kind of carries that forward because the father and son start talking about reading Learning to read. They're kind of the the religious book of this uh, Lord of Light. And, uh, you know, Davos says, I know, no, I'm not, you know, Stannis is my God. You know, this guy is my king. He's my God. That's my, you know, that's where my brain and heart is at. And then we get another beautiful Tyrion and Cersei scene, heart wrenching, where Tyrion's like, listen, sis, I'm going to take over here. You're losing the people. And then she says, uh, this is what ruling is, lying on a bed of weeds, trying to pluck every weed out while they try to strangle you. And then you can see her face change and how she just has this, un, she just can't forgive Tyrion for you know, his birth, taking the life of her mother. Like, she just has this burning hatred towards him. And then we have Stannis talking to the Red Woman and Davos and you know Stan and, and uh, Davos's son. And Stannis is like, uh, you know, I don't think these, uh, in my experience, pirates like to fight unarmed men. And Davos, man, this is why I love him. He says, you know, it does seem the wise choice. And then, uh, you know, they kick him out and him and the uh, Red Woman kind of seal their... Uh, deal by making sweet love on the on the table the map table or maybe not sweet love maybe evil you know non-love lust sex uh whatever you want to call it and then we go back to the north and john makes this discovery terrible discovery and then gets knocked out about uh, what's going on uh, how deep the evil goes at craster's keep how bad this man craster is and then he gets knocked out by Craster. And that's the end of the episode. The Nightlands. Jon's deep in the Nightlands. It looks like, though, even though Stannis is making love to the Lord of Lights priestess, he's going into some dark place. So that's the episode. Wonderful, wonderful episode. What are we going to talk about tonight? Well, a couple of things hopefully we'll cover. We'll talk about Pike, folding papers, lethargy. Octopuses, giant squids, maybe something like that. Pirates, a part, pirate, you know, something about pirates. All right, let's 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 move on. All right, so starters. Um, well, one, let me just tell you, if you have HBO and you know uh, HBO Go, do yourself a favor and check out the extras for last episode and this episode because they have some cool stuff in there, great stuff. Uh, They had some great stuff about the place where they filmed, some of the filming of Pike, whereas uh, Balon Greyjoy, Theon Make, uh, you know, I want to look up some stuff about it, Pike, P-Y-K-E, is a castle located on the island of the same name, which is one of the eight major Iron Islands. It's the seat of House Greyjoy, the rulers of the Iron Islands. Pike is an ancient stronghold that was originally built on a cliff jutting out into the sea, but over time the cliff has eroded, leaving the castle's towers standing on a series of small barren rock stacks, surrounded by water. Since there is no safe anchorage at Pike, those who which to travel there have to sail to nearby Lord's Port. The towers are connected by swaying rope bridges The keep its towers and walls and bridges are made of the same gray-black stone of which the rest of the island is composed. In the thousands of years the keep has stood, that's thousands of years, so there must have been some good masons, it has become covered in green lichen. A curtain wall encloses the headland of 50 acres and the cliff around the foot of the wide stone bridge which extends out into the largest islet. The stables, kennels, and livestock are located on the headland. The Great Keep, Kitchen Keep, and Bloody Keep all sit on their own islands. Towers and outbuildings are located on the stacks beyond them, linked to each other by covered archways. Where the pillars once, where the pillars stood close, and, and by long swaying walks of wood and rope, when they did not. To get to the Sea Tower, one must cross three bridges the last of which is made by rope. Here's this stuff. The Great Keep, the largest islet, is cut capped by the massive Great Keep. It is connected to the Bloody Keep by a covered stone walkway. Its long, smoky hall contains the sea stone chair. Bloody Keep, the Bloody Keep, or the Guest Keep, is one of the largest sections of the castle. It lies on its own island further out than the Great Keep. Its halls are larger and better furnished. It received its name a thousand years ago when the Sons of the River King went there and got jumped, and uh, some bad stuff happened. Kitchen Keep. The Kitchen Keep sits on its own island. It lies further out from the mainland than the Great Keep. Sea Tower. The Sea Tower rises from the outermost island at the far reaches of the island. It's the oldest part of the castle and is round and tall. The base of the tower is white from centuries of salt spray and is crooked. To get from the Great Keep to the Sea Tower, one must cross three bridges. The tower contains the solar of the Lord Greyjoy. Gatehouse. The walls of Pike run in a crescent moon from cliff to cliff with the gatehouse providing entry. Located in the center portion of the wall, including the... Uh, uh, I never know how to say this word. Including an iron port portcullis, portcullis To... Provide additional projection should the wall be attacked. <coughs> there are three towers to either side. The southernmost tower is new, made of a paler gray stone. After the old southern tower was destroyed during the Greyjoy Rebellion when King Robert Baratheon breached the walls. History. Real quick. During the Greyjoy Rebellion, the Siege of Pike was the final battle. King Robert, along with Eddard Stark... Mustered thousands of men invading the Pike, island of Pike through Lordsport. They captured the castle after bringing down the southern part of the outer wall of Pike using siege engines. Well, that'd be cool. I would have liked to seen that. So that's Pike for now. We'll, we'll probably talk about the rest of the Iron Islands soon. Okay. Um, all right. So. I got a little bit of chills here, and it's gonna be a strange thing to have the chills about. You might think that you might not this is like one of the wonderful things about this podcast is uh well I just was I was a little bit behind my research, so I just had to do some research, so that's why I've got the chills right this second but uh that the trail of breadcrumbs left behind by Game of Thrones that leads me down this path of boring stuff leads me to these wonderful, wonderful. Little discoveries; otherwise, I wouldn't have the chance to discover, and then I wouldn't get to share them with you. So, one funny thing I thought in this episode was when Tyrion, you know, makes fun of Cersei's skill at tearing up papers, and then that made me think of like, okay, I know there's like some saying or some science type thing of like, oh, you can only if you fold a paper so many times, it's impossible to fold it anymore, and if you fold it again, it's like the size of the universe, it'll create a black hole. And so on and so on. The bat, you know, then the whole, like, collapsing in on itself, time-space continuum stuff, which I've already ruined by, you know, gallivanting in my Bruce Bolton fantasy fiction time machine. But so I was like, OK, well, let's find out how many times can you fold a piece of paper and then boom. Well, let me share it with you as I discovered it. Uh The first um article that came up was this uh it's called a uh, maths by email it looks like this is uh part of the australian government uh, csiro.au uh, the australian mathematical sciences institute i don't see an author's name but let's just consider it owned by them csiro uh, uh, this is maths by email try this folding a piece of paper in half, a teachable moment on top of it. What you're going to need is a sheet of A4 paper and a roll of toilet paper. Okay, what you do. Before you start, try answering this question. How many times do you think you could fold a piece of paper in half? Okay, off the top of my head, I'd say... One, two, three, four... Five, six, one... One, two, three, so four... A 12, yeah, 12, uh, might be, maybe. Take the, I don't have a piece of paper, but fold it in half. If you, you know, you should be, you're just you folding your dreams in half, though. Fold it in half again and then fold it in half till you can't fold it anymore. Okay, remember how many times you folded it. Was it more or less than you expected? Well, see, they're saying surprise, so I'd say less. Find a piece, a long space to roll out toilet paper. It is, if it's calm, you might be able to do this outside. Uh, no offense, but toilet paper, uh, I literally did not mean to make this as a joke or a pun, but toilet paper doesn't grow on trees. It doesn't, it's made of trees and it's not freaking cheap either. So, um, if you roll it outside, some of you might not be wanting to wipe your bottom with it. So, and I, I mean, I wouldn't even, whatever. So think, decide what you want to do. Um. Take one end of the paper and bring it back to the other end. Straighten the folded piece of paper, now fold it. So you're going to fold the toilet paper, basically, and fold it. How many times did you fold it? I don't know, a lot. What's happening? There are two things that are happening when you fold the paper in half, and they both mean the more folds you've made, the harder it is to fold again. Every time you fold a piece of paper in half, its area is halved. If you start out with one A4 sheet, then after four or five folds, it starts getting quite small. So I guess I was off at 12. Maybe I meant tw- twelfths. It starts getting quite small. If you could fold it in half nine times, it would only be one square centimeter in area. Hey, Khaleesi, they, they use the uh, metric system over here. Another problem you run into is the paper keeps getting thicker. A piece of paper is very thin. A4 A4 paper is about one-tenth of a millimeter thick. But every time you fold the paper in half, you double the thickness. So after two folds, it's four times as thick as a single sheet. Don't fold any sheeps, you freaking sick people listening. This is why I told the fundamentalists not to listen to the podcast. Again, I'm just trying to save you if you're a fundamentalist. And, And only in podcast fundamentalism you know, this would be a point where you start trying to fold a sheep. One, it wouldn't be good for anybody, good for the sheep or you, because if you're folding the sheep, you know, that's is you're gonna hurt the sheep. And people don't like animal abuse even if you say it's for science. And then they're gonna you know how the internet is, then they're gonna you're gonna be like, Well this guy told me to fold sheep on his podcast. Then there's gonna be this big to do. And then it's, that's like one of my fantasy nightmares. So, you know, that I'll be framed for sheep folding. So don't fold sheep. But, um, and try to stay on point if you have a podcast. That's uh, another lesson. Um, it's like one tenth of a millimeter thick, the paper, the sheep, But every time you fold it, it's uh, double the thickness. So after two folds, it's four times as thick. After three folds, it's eight times as thick. After nine folds, If you make it that far, it'll be two times, two times, two two times, some two to the ninth power maybe, two to the four point, I don't know, 512 times thicker. If a sheet of paper is one-tenth of a millimeter thick, after you've hailing thick, what's that, robin thick, um, then after you folded it nine times, see, I just stayed on track, wanted me to pull me down that road. And maybe if it was two summers ago, I would have gone down it. Uh, If you folded it nine times, it would be over five centimeters thick. Applications. This is where beauty rolls into this, okay? It's often said that it's not possible to fold a piece of paper in half more than seven times. In 2002, a high school student named Brittany Gallivan proved it was possible to do a lot more than seven folds. Brittany was challenged by her teacher to fold a sheet of paper in half 12 times to help her, help her to help herself understand the problem that's a paraphrase she came up with two formulas working out how much paper you would need to start with cheers Brittany. one this might be our first podcast hero and something i just came up with a spot Brittany galvan one worked by folding in different directions like you would with with a sheet of paper, one where you keep folding in the same direction like you would with a roll of toilet paper. Her formula said she would need a sheet a lot wider than it was thick, so she tried using very thin, a very thin sheet. Paper doesn't get much thinner than one-tenth of a millimeter, but gold comes in sheets that are only a few atoms thick. Starting with a square about 10 meters on each side, she managed to fold the gold 12 times. When she presented her Solution to her teacher. The teacher said she had to fold a piece of paper, not a sheet of gold. See, man, no offense. I know there's probably a lot of good science teachers out there, but I I think a lot of times if you end up a science or math teacher and it's not your passion, or maybe just kids like me, I was a difficult student. So yeah, put it back on myself. I I apologize to all the science and math teachers out there for making voices like that when you're trying to actually make a point. Why do I got to put my spin on it? You know. In order to um, make 12 folds in a piece of paper, she had to find a special roll of toilet paper that cost $85 and was 1.2 kilometers long. After seven hours of folding, she managed to get her paper folded in half 12 times. Great job, Brittany. Uh, let's just look. It's uh, This is on Wikipedia. Brittany Gallivan, Brittany Crystal Galavan, night born 1985, is from Pomona, California. And they have a nice picture up of her folding the paper in half. Uh, It has her math formula. So that's cool. Oh, and she was mentioned in the episode Identity Crisis of Numbers. She served as a consultant and was mentioned in an episode of Mythbusters and in episode three of QI's F-Series. So that'll be in the show notes too, except I just... um, And then there's a... Another article oh, over at PomonaHistorical.org, because since she's from Pomona, it's got another nice picture of Brittany with her paper. That's only the 11th fold. Uh, her folding record still holds. It has her math formula here. That's cool. another really good article. And then something over at Gizmodo. This is a, a little bit, might be a little bit, this might not be about Brittany. This is more about the universe thing, but one. Is, once again, I just want to pause and say to people that I like Brittany, like, congratulations uh, for thinking outside of. Wait, there's not even outside the box because it's, bo- I mean, because the box would be made of wood too, so that would be the wood bun even further. But she's thinking gold uh, and then using math. Man, I hope you, you know, I would be honored if Brittany. I mean, think about it, Taylor Swift. If you're listening, get this Brittany and get her in freaking a video, make a song about her. Um, how about that? I don't need you guys don't even need to involve me, because you're gonna get her way more attention than I would. But if Brittany, if you 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 obviously very bright, and a lot of times bright people have trouble sleeping, so maybe you could use my podcast to help you sleep. Same goes for you Taylor, uh, and plus the touring. We're solving things that people said, oh, that's not possible. Brittany said, fuck that. That is possible. Let me drop some freaking math theorems on this shit and show you you're wrong, science. You know, th- th- no weird science. This is science science. So, okay. So that's <laughs> another way. Okay, so this is over at Sploid.gizmodo.com. Oh, no, this is just Gizmodo. And this is by Jesus Diaz. From seven nineteen twenty fourteen, if you fold a paper in half one hundred three times, it'll get as thick as the universe. The myth: you can't fold a piece of paper in half more than eight times. The reality: given paper long enough and enough energy, you can fold it as many times as you want. The Problem is, if you fold it one hundred three times, the thickness of your paper will be larger than the observable universe—ninety-three billion light years. Seriously, how can a point zero zero three nine inch these people use the, uh, um, not the, uh, what, do, what do we call that? Metric system, so cool, you see, So put them on the list. Uh, paper, how does that get to be as thick as the universe? The answer is simple, exponential growth. The average paper thickness of one-tenth one of a millimeter, whew, thank God, we got our meters back, uh, is if uh, you pull the paper in half, it'll double its thickness. Things get interesting quickly. Folding a third third time will get you the thickness of a nail. Seven folds will be the thickness of a notebook of 128 pages. Ten folds, the width of a hand. Twenty-three pol- folds, one kilometer. Thirty-nine, thirty folds will get, holy, thirty folds will get you into space. That's a hundred kilometers. Keep folding, Fold forty-two folds will get you to the moon. This could be, I like this for a song, uh, Taylor, Brittany. 42 folds to get you to the moon or what did I, what was the name of my band uh experience scooter and the Twi- Transbordom experience 43 folds to get you to the moon 451 folds to burn in the sun but Brittany gallivant paparazzi for some reason it's going into that song but um so 53 51 it gets you to the sun Fast forward 81 folds, you'll be at 127,786 light years, almost as thick as the Andromeda galaxy. 90 folds, it'll be 130.8 million light years, bigger than Virgo's supercluster, estimated at 110 million light years. Uh, Virgo uh, contains a local galactic group. That, that's who can probably open for the transbordum experience. Galactic's a great group, but this is the local galactic group is different. Uh, Andromeda, our own Milky Way, and a hundred other galaxy groups. Finally, 103-fold to get outside the observable universe, which is estimated at 93 billion light-years in diameter. Um, And then it says, it mentions Brittany at the end. Now, uh, Jesus and Brittany and Taylor what, what, would we, what would the energy take would be my next question, um, you know, if you want to write articles. Uh, let's get a little series going here. Uh, give Jesus a shout-out. Otherwise, you can give a shout-out. Bobby, F, if you're still awake, you're a resident article writer. Uh, how much energy would it take to fold that pe- much piece of paper? And then freaking dietitians or exercicians, exercise people. How many calories did Brittany burn? All right, what, what if Brittany, Taylor? Here's another idea. Let's let's get let's brand this. Let's let's create a brand or whatever the hell they do. Uh, you know, the I don't think it would, I'd like to have, have transbordom experience in there, but like we could get an exercise thing going. Paper folds. Get rid of those rolls with your paper folds. Your paper folds. Uh uh uh. Like how many calories you know folding paper? Uh, think about it. You fold yoga mats. Uh, So that's that. Um, One more thing while we're on the space uh, stuff is uh, freaking that – how about our comet landing? It's not going great. So as of right now – actually, I didn't read any articles today, but we had had a couple – it had landed, and then it it landed in some strange place. I tried to tweet an article I read, but – you know, the, these things don't always, it wouldn't, I, I would have no idea why I wouldn't couldn't share it. But uh, interesting stuff. So let's, by the time you hear this, who knows what'll be going on. So let's just keep that, you know, Crone. How about that? You know, freaking, don't you want to observe some comets from the interior? You know, maybe not because you're some goddess in the sky. All right. So thank you, Brittany. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you, Science. Sweet, sweet science uh, for this uh, wonderful jaunt that down what could have been a simple answer became a boring tangent because of a joke made by Tyrion at his sister's expense. So thank you, George R. R. Martin. Thank you, Weiss and Benioff. Thank you all, the entire staff of the HBO Game of Thrones involvement, collaboration. And, you know, whoever all the people acknowledged in the books by George R. R. Martin, even the Jets, I think they won last week, too. So, um, you know, Geno Smith, maybe we could get your forearms. Maybe they'll make your passes more accurate uh, by, you know, folding paper. Huh? There we go. Taylor, I don't know anything about Geno Smith other than that people get mad at him. But maybe, you know, uh dated you know, maybe he's the right guy for you. That these haters aren't going to hate on you for dating. Date, date, date. I don't know why I'm. Okay, let's move on. I reached out to our glittering researcher Stacy to do some research on because the Khalees. Because there was a scene with the Khaleesi and Sir Jorah, and they were just kind of sitting around that camp in the Red Waste, I believe, and they just looked like, well. Um, uh, I I think I used the word already lethargic, and I was thinking um, about it. So I said, you know, what's up with that? And so the this is the research Stacy did, temperatures, conditions that cause lethargy and why we get lethargic, taken directly from the article, Fakuda, nineteen ninety four, quote chronic chronic fatigue syndrome is a clinically defined condition. Characterized by severe disabling fatigue and a combination of symptoms that prominently features self-reported impairments in concentration and short-term memory, sleep disturbances, and musculoskeletal pain. Recent longitudinal studies suggest that some persons affected by chronic fatigue syndrome improve with time, but most remain functionally impaired for several years. Stacy quoting Stacy, uh, I found an awesome fatigue scale that's extremely commonly used to assess, uh, to assess le- all the mess ups are mine, assess the lethar- 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 lethargy in research. Here are some of the items. Number one, I feel tired. Number two, I tire easily. Number three, physically, I feel I am in bad condition. Number four, and if anybody out there you know, says stop, when you think you're, imagine yourself as um, Archulisi and Jora. Physically, I feel I'm in bad condition. That's three. Four. Physically, I feel only able to do a little. That's four. Uh, five. I think I do very little in a day. Six. I get little done. Seven, I dread having to do things. Eight, I don't feel like doing anything. Nine, my thoughts easily wander. Ten, it takes a lot of effort to concentrate on things. The scale divides fatigue into several groups. General fatigue, physical fatigue, reduced activity, reduced motivation, and mental cognitive fatigue. The scale has been shown to be a valid measure of fatigue, particularly and due to how well it coordinates with behavioral data. Namely, how well people are able to perform on a vision test. That's from Lynn, 2007. We're dropping some prime sources on you motherfuckers here, thanks to our researcher. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's just look at this scale, really. Uh, one, I feel tired, definitely. That's a yes. Tired easily, that's a double yes. Physically, they're in bad condition. I would say yes. Physically, they're able to do only a little yes. I think I do a little in every day, in a day. Currently, that's a yes for Khaleesi and Jorah. Six, I get a little done. Um, Possibly seven, I dread having to do things. Khaleesi doesn't really, she might dread it, but that doesn't hold her back. She knows that sometimes leaders like her have to do dread, you know, overcome dread. I don't feel like doing anything that doesn't apply to either one of them. Uh, I don't feel that <laughs> applies to either one of them. Thoughts easily wander. I think Sir Jorah, um, probably his thoughts wander uh, to daydreams of another world where his father accepts him and the Khaleesi, you know, was romantically attracted to him. But, uh, I mean, who can blame him, man? I mean, the guy he's he's a he's um he's a bit of a lost soul our Ser Jorah. I love him, and uh I think he's a wonderful character and it takes a lot of effort to concentrate on things I'm sure again we don't we can't see inside Sir Jorah's head, and I don't see him like maybe they cut these scenes out where he's like um lecherously looking at our Khaleesi. but I don't see him lecherously looking at her. Or maybe that's where his thoughts are. Like maybe he does have trouble concentrating. But I don't think his physical attractiveness, attract, attraction is one level of his relationship with the Khaleesi. But there's many levels well beyond our uh, understanding with the limited information we have. Obviously, there's probably some element of uh, soldier uh maybe i don't know is that transference or stockholm syndrome or something else like where does that happen uh and i'm not being joke i'm not trying to be jokey like if you're in the military do you ever fall in love with your commander and even if it's you know like transference like, i don't know can transference doesn't mean you're uh doesn't just have to be related to your sexual orientation i don't know i'm not a but i'm saying like is Sir Jorah going through some of that too? Like he's been conditioned with uh, the soldier's mind. Well, I guess it is because Stannis, Sir Davos, um, I, I don't know what his sexual orientation is to be honest with you, but he's in love with Stannis as a soldier in some sense, right? Um, So Ser Jorah has a similar relationship with Khaleesi, but he's also physically attracted to, to her. I don't think... No matter what Davos' orientation is, uh, Stannis, no offense. uh, Well, I guess it it could be your thing, like a buy-the-book. Just the whole scene with him last week of uh, he's not my beloved brother. We didn't love each other. Uh, Yeah, so I don't know. And I'm sure there's probably some stuff from Sir George's childhood that's re-emerging here and maybe some part of him that feels like um, uh, I mean the Khaleesi is very attractive physically but also she's got this power she's got this confidence and she has a sense of purpose but also with um, a caring, she seems to care and I'm, I don't know if it, it's not purely maternalistic yeah, uh, it's a combination of, uh, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm not, I'm, I'm off, I'm out of my league here as an analysis. But so I don't know. But yeah, so I can, I can't blame him for being in love with her. I'm not. I mean, again, I'm not like Khaleesi. I love her, and she's my Khaleesi. She's our Khaleesi. I, you know, worship her in some level. But you know, I got kind of uh, a soft spot for someone that's coming up in season four that works for the Khaleesi. Unfortunately, that's a love triangle situation, and I'm the dude on the outs. And then I have a thing with the maiden. Uh. So the you know, but that's not going anywhere. But maybe it will. And then again, if the Khaleesi says, you know, I need you, you know, I need you in my bed, you know, for a distraction or something, I say, well, it's, you know. I'm not exactly, you know, I'm not exactly down Juan DeMarco here, but I'll do my best. And, and you know, I would, no doubt about it. Uh, So that's neither here nor there, because I was in the middle of this lethargy thing. Uh, So causes, this is quoting Stacy to get back on track here. Causes for fatigue I found interesting. Social exclusion can cause fatigue. Well, this is wrapping back around, interestingly enough. Individuals that are socially excluded after a defensive state of cognitive deconstruction that avoids meaningful thought, emotion, and self-awareness is characterized by lethargy and altered time flow. That's by TWENGE, T-W-E-N-G-E, 2003. So that's interesting. Social let's read that again social exclusion can cause fatigue. Individuals who are socially excluded enter a defensive state of cognitive deconstruction that avoids meaningful thought, emotion, and self-awareness and is characterized by a lethargy and altered time flow. Huh, that might be. maybe that's one of the things that powers this Bruce Bolton fantasy fiction fiction fantasy machine I have. Uh, uh, maybe. Okay, point, bullet point two, there's a lot of research done on fatigue in cancer patients as well as many other conditions like multiple sclerosis and lupus, which is the technical word is e r E-R, ureuthematosus, I don't know, ureuthematosus that's a lupus uh heat exhaustion along with dehydration can cause marathon collapses that's a link on an article from springer.com will be in the show notes oh let's read that actually this is uh the article it's a springer link it's an article by uh it's from sports medicine april 2007 volume 37 It's a Heat Exhaustion and Dehydration as Causes of Marathon Collapse. It's by Dr. Robert Kenefick and Michael Saka. Oh, just the abstract, so I'll just read the abstract. This article reviews causes of the marathon collapse related to physical exhaustion, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. During severe exercise heat stress, high skin and core temperatures, cardiac, Cardiac output can decrease below levels observed during exercise and in temperate conditions. This reduced cardiac output and vasodilated skin and muscle can make it difficult to sustain blood pressure and perhaps cerebral blood flow. Dehydration can accentuate, accentuate this cardiovascular strain. In contrast, excessive heat loss, did I just say excessive? Heat loss to other environment during cold weather may result in hypothermic collapse. Other factors contributing to post-race collapse might include reduced skeletal muscle pump activity and dehydration and prior heat stress, mediated changes in cerebrovascular responses to orthostatic challenges. And that you can purchase that article over here at Springer Link. Um, probably can get it through his local library too. All right, uh, uh, that's it. Thank you to our glittering researcher, Stacy. One thing about this pike castle was that uh, it had uh, this giant squid fireplace, or Kraken, I think is their god, or it's on the Greyjoy um, sigil maybe. is like a giant squid, so I had to look up some info, of course, about giant squids. And the first article I looked up is uh, 10... Top 10, startling, giant squid facts by Jason Roby over at, uh, blog, blogsdiscovery.com. Inside Discovery. After decades of uh, searching for the giant squid, scientists have finally found and filmed the reg- legendary creature in its native habitat. The journey and discovery will be featured, uh, in this show. Which probably this is from uh, December 2013. Monster Squid, uh, the two-hour season finale of Curiosity series. We recently sat down with Leslie Schwerin, director and producer of Monster Squid, the giant is real, for Discovery Channel to talk about the expedition, the incredible discovery, and all things giant squid. Here are the top things we learned about the Archaeolophus Number 10, we still know very little about the giant squid, including how it hunts. There's a difference of opinion of how they catch their prey, Leslie Schworen said. Dr. Sunemi Kubodera, as I understand it, believes the giant squid catch their prey with their tentacles. So they're going along and they see something yummy and their tentacles go out and grab it and bring it in. Dr. Steve O'Shea believes the giant squid goes along and its tentacles are hanging down at 45 degrees it catches its prey and then the body will go down to it instead of bringing it in nine humans have been aware of giant squid for centuries although no one has ever seen a giant squid alive until it's in its natural habitat until now humans have been clued into its existence for centuries perhaps even longer giant squid carcasses occasionally wash ashore and there have been sightings of giant squid at the ocean's surface. The ancient Greeks may have been the first to describe the creature in the 4th century B.C. In the 1st century B.C., Pliny the Elder wrote of an enormous squid in his natural history, an animal he described that had 30 foot longs, weighed 700 pounds, and had a head as big as a cask. There's an even larger squid than the giant squid, the colossal squid, which has not been seen alive in its natural habitat, is thought to be even larger than the giant squid, though its tentacles are shorter. The largest known colossal squid was hauled to the surface by a fisherman off of New Zealand in 2007. It weighed a 1,000 pounds. Number seven, the giant squid has a sharp beak. Giant squid have a big old beak that is supposedly really sharp, said Schwerin. Shaped like a parrot's beak, the giant squid's beak is hard and resistant to fractures and bending. It likely uses its beak to dismember and paralyze its prey, although no one has ever seen a giant squid feeding. 6. Giant Squid Battle Sperm Whales It's pretty clear that sperm whales eat giant squid, and giant squid don't go down without a fight, said Schwerin. Scientists, and just anyone walking on the beach seeing a sperm whale, will often see sucker marks and bite marks from a giant squid. If they open up the stomach of a sperm whale, they'll also see the remains of a giant squid, especially the beaks, because the beaks can't be broken down. Scientists speculate that the battles between giant squid and sperm whales are pretty vicious. 5. Giant squid regenerate their tentacles. The giant squid we found don't have tentacles, said Schwerin. We don't know why exactly. It could be they lost a loss in a fight with a sperm whale or they hooked it on a fisherman's line. Or that severed their tentacles, but the tentacles regenerate. Not all squid regenerate their tentacles, but certain deep sea squid, like the arch it eleuthus can sacrifice them as a defense me- mechanism allowing them to escape quickly to safety. The giant squid is as long as a whale number four. What's fascinating is its size. It's really big. It can get up to 50, 60 feet long, which rivals the length of most whales. Tentacles make up the lion's share of their length. Tentacles aside, the giant squid body is the length of a large, adult, great white shark. Number three, the giant squid's eye is as big as your head. Its its eyes are supposedly the largest in the animal kingdom. As big as a basketball, perhaps. I mean, bigger than my head, which is amazing to think about. And so that's why they can see in the dark. We can't see down 2,000 feet. It's all dark to us, but they see things. They can see light trickling through because their eyes are so big. As big as gigantic as they are, number two, giant squid are really hard to find. It's really hard to find giant squid in their natural habitat, says Schwerin. They're really deep, 2,000 to 3,000 feet down. It's not a hospitable environment for us, so we have to go down to submersibles, which are loud and have lights that scare them away. I imagine it's probably really hard to find a giant squid because we don't know how to behave or survive in their environment so we need all this equipment that's loud and bright and scares them away, but I think they're shy creatures, they're solitary creatures, and they don't swim in schools. Even though there may be millions of them, they're spread out through the seas, and it's like a needle in a haystack. One, the giant squid is really a gentle giant. Hodor. It's huge. It's weird-looking. We know that, a Schwerin. And I think people are fascinated with monsters. It does fit the description in a way of a monster, even if it's a gentle monster. But our imaginations take off, and we think of it as this crazy monster of the sea that'll take down ships and sailors. There certainly were stories about it doing that in the past, and it really does excite people as they love their monsters, especially ones they haven't seen. So that's giant squid. I'll put another article in the show notes too about that. Thanks. This episode had the, our wonderful pirate friend Saladar San or whatever, and it made me think pirates. That made me think of Pirates Ray. And Pirates of the Caribbean to ride at Disneyland and at Disney World. Now, I couldn't get Ray over here for a segment, but I did some research on this ride. So I try to find out, you know, I don't know, stuff about it. I went over to the FW.com and there's an article over here 10 uh, Things You Didn't Know About Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean Ride by Sarah Franks Allen. Drink up me hearties, yo ho. Since 1967 debut in Disneyland, the scurvy scallywags, scurvy scallywags of Pirates of the Caribbean have been uh, a favorite of all park guests. 46 years, three additional attractions and parks around the world, four movies and countless toys, games, and other merchandise later, the Pirates are still going strong. Here are 10 amazing facts about this classic Disney ride. So you'll learn something while well, try to get that song out of your head. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. Number one, it was the last ride Walt personally oversaw. Pirates of the Caribbean was not among the attractions that for the first visitors to Disneyland saw. New Orleans Square, the section of the park where the ride can be found, wasn't even built till 1966. 11 years after the park opened, but the idea of a pirate-themed attraction for Disneyland was around since the 1950s. One of the earliest ideas was a pirate museum to be housed underneath New Orleans Square. Pirates was also the last attraction to have Walt Disney himself personally oversee its construction. Walt Disney passed away in December of 1966, and Pirates opened to the public in March of 1967. Two animation greats voiced the pirates. I think this is like Walt's Nine Angry Men or Seven Wise Men, uh, something. Walt's got these guys. I don't know if the Sherman brothers, the lovely Sherman brothers from uh, Mary Poppins were one of Walt's wise men. Maybe not because they weren't. I don't know their aunt. Anyway, you can hear a lot of Disney Parks regulars voicing the various pirates and townsfolk. The actors from the movies all provide the voices for the respective characters. Several of the main pirates unique to the ride are boi- voiced by Paul Frees. the voice of the ghost host at the Haunted Mansion, Donald's un- uncle Ludwig, Ludwig von van Drake, and countless other characters for Disney. Jay Ward and Rankin Bass, Thurl Ravenscroft, Voice of a singing bust from Haunted Mansion and Tony the Tiger from your breakfast can also be heard on the ride. Cool. Three, a very long chess game. While you're waiting to get on the ride, you can check out a pair of skeletons on either side of the chess board. A popular rumor states the board is set up in a stalemate, implying the two pirates sat playing the game, unable to make a move until both died. But the internet has yet to reach a consensus on whether or not this is true. Some sources claim the pirates the pieces are arranged to suggest a game that can't be won. Others, such as the Florida Project, have photos showing the pieces aren't in a stalemate configuration and don't even stay in the same place. That would be my question. Are the pieces glued down? Yeah, I mean, that's a... I don't know. Cannonballs are illusion number four. Both the Disneyland and Walt Disney World version of Pirates feature a battle between the pirate ship and the town's fortress with both sides lobbing cannonballs at each other. Of course, since launching heavy metal balls over guest's heads would be a lawsuit waiting to happen, no actual cannonballs are used. Moving cannons, flashes of light, and blasts beneath the waves give the illusion of projectiles being fired and hitting the water. The recent addition of an air cannon blasting guests in time with the cannon fire adds to the effect of unseen cannonballs whizzing by. Number 5, the original ride was racy. The original ride featured a scene where several pirates chased after giggling local ladies and one heavy-set lady being pursued by a pirate. This particular tableau, is that right, tableau, has been changed several times to keep up with what modern guests felt was appropriate for a Disney park ride. At one point, the heavyset lady was given a rolling pin to chase the pirates off. Later on, the ladies and the Pursued Pirate were given food items, changing the object of the pirates' desires from the ladies themselves to the goodies they were carrying. The giggles were dropped from the soundtrack as well. Curiously, the bride auction scene remains unchanged. 6. The secret to the fire effect is... The fire effect in Pirates is surprisingly simple. It's just a combination of cloth, fans, and lights but when seen from afar, it looks like the town is burning. The effect has fooled many riders into thinking that real fire is being used, including one Anaheim fire chief, Chief Dumbass, who was on the verge of shutting the ride down until he realized the flames weren't real. 7. Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life For Me One of the most memorable parts of Pirates of the Caribbean is the theme song, Yo-Ho, parentheses, A Pirate's Life For Me. It's, almost, it's as catchy as A Small World, but far less likely to drive you crazy. The music for this classic tune was composed by George Burns, who co-wrote The Ballad of Davy Crockett and scored numerous Disney films. The lyrics are by Francis Xavier Estencio, better known as X, who also wrote the original script for The Ride, as well as the script and theme song lyrics. theme song lyrics for The Haunted Mansion. Number eight, the Tired Pirate has also been censored. Another scene that has undergone several changes is the Tired Pirate, also called the Poop Pirate. When the attraction opened, he was holding a petticoat and spouting all manner of pirate-themed innuendo about the young woman hiding in the barrel behind him. Once again, lust was replaced with gluttony. Interesting that gluttony is more culturally acceptable than lust. I mean, I guess... And me, not on this podcast. but, I mean, glustony is our, our thing. We just smash them together. Why not have both? Uh, and the pirate switched to talking about the delicious food he had eaten. Not everyone loved the changes to the ride. Ex Existen- Astencio himself derisively called the revamped version Boy Scouts of the Caribbean. Nine. From the parks to the films and back again. Following the success of the Pirates of the Caribbean films, the rides in Disneyland and Disney World were altered to include characters from the movies. The town is now under attack by Captain Barbossa. Jack Sparrow can see him, be seen hiding throughout the town and at the ride's conclusion. More recently, the mermaids from the latest installment of the series on Stranger Tides were added to the ride. 10. Pirates of the Mist one of the most impressive movie-related additions is what appears to be a waterfall with the face of either Davy Jones or Blackbeard emerges, warning guests of the dangers ahead. As the boat reaches the waterfall, both the face and the water vanish. All of it is just a projection on mist. So that's ten things you didn't know. Let's just read through the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. This is from PiratesWicked.com, and I don't see an author probably because it's like a community pirates of the caribbean ride and here and then in here we have a special attraction we call it blue bayou lagoon people are going to get on a boat here and ride through the lagoon and then as they get around here we're going to take them down a waterfall and take them back into the past days of pirates you know where the whole caribbean area was full of pirates and they are always sacking towns and things that's a quote from walt disney pirates of the caribbean in case you didn't know is a dark water ride that opened in Disneyland March 18, 1967. It would be opened at other parks, Magic Kingdom, Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris. Pirates is one of the most popular and well-loved Disney attractions and inspired the film. It was the last attraction, as we said, that Walt Disney participated in, three months opening after his death. He was instrumental in bringing the attraction to life and was involved in the project until the end of his life. Walt's theme park edition, known as W.E.D., created a remarkable world for the pirates to live in, relying on the great voice talents and creative minds such as Mark Davis, Existencio, Claude Coates, Yale Gracie, Blaine Gibson, and others. With the help of the Imagineers, Disney created a boat ride featuring thrills, chills, and space-age robotics known as audio-animatronics to bring to life the multitude of salty characters that make up the Pirates of the Caribbean that make the Pirates of the Caribbean a fascinating experience. During the course of the indoor boat ride, guests flows through an immersive, larger-than-life pirate adventure featuring gunshots, cannon blasts, and burning buildings, all set to pirates carousing and pillaging. <laughs> nothing, you know, nothing more uh, cathartic than watching other people carouse and pillage. Accompanied by ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, written by George Byrne and Xavier Estencio. There's a run-through of the entire ride here. I don't want to read that, because that's probably spoilers. Current Disneyland version. Development. Pirates is one of the earliest attractions designed for Disneyland, but it was going to be a wax museum. You'd walk through and see static scenes of the great moments in pirate mythology. Originally, it was part of New Orleans Square. It's a quote from Bruce Gordon. In the late 1950s, Walt Disney had an idea to create a wax walk-through museum that went underneath the Blue Bayou Mart at Disneyland. The goal was to transport guests back to the 18th century Caribbean islands, but that notion took a dynamic turn when Mark Davis, one of Walt's Imagineers, was assigned to the task. His comical drawings and creation of fictional pirates got Walt thinking in different ways and are the inspiration for many of the figures and dioramas seen through the final attraction. A portrait of a Okay, that's just part of Walt's genius was fostering the talents of others. He surrounded himself with gifted artists and visionaries, allowed him to take an idea and run. So once the storyboards and models were done, another dynamic force came on board. That was the guy we talked about, Francis Xavier Extensio, or X, as he was professionally and affectionately known, and he had been an assistant man and animator on Fantasia. Although he was not a writer per se, his script for Pirates, Caribbean Attraction, and his first attempt, holy mackerel, as a lyricist would become classics. It's easy to take the technological breakthroughs in these attractions for granted. The music is just that strong. However, there were years in the making, and it was the 1964 World's Fair That literally moved the Pirates in a whole new direction. Walt's breakthrough audio animatronics debuted with the show-stopping performance of Mr. Lincoln. Audiences at the World's Fair were riveted by Disney's creations in three-dimensional storytelling. Pirates of the Caribbean would use this technology to breathe motion and life into its colorful characters. As the last attraction in which Walt Disney was involved in designing, Pirates opened on March 18, 1967. Guests did not walk through the Pirates of the Caribbean, but set through... Set sail threw it in a bateau, flat bottom in bateau, flat bottom boats, similar to those used to navigate the waters of the bayou, wild imagination, amazing detail, and a dark and witty sense of humor all add to the wonders of pirates. The fantasy and folklore behind the attraction continue to fascinate fans since the Disneyland Park attraction was under construction before the advert of lifelike research skeletons. Original skeletons and made-up parts of the show were genuine medical specimens, and many of them still remain. One great enduring rumor is that the skull and crossbones mounted on the headboard of the bed in the captain quarters are genuine as well. Fans of the Disneyland Park love the mix of fantasy, reality, mystery, and intrigue. The Pirates of the Caribbean experience was such a popular favorite that it was a must-have attraction for the Walt Disney World Resort. In 1973, the second Pirates of the Caribbean opened in Adventureland in the Magic Kingdom Park at Walt Disney World, bringing the thrill of swashbuckling to more eager guests. The attraction was so popular and fans so devoted, that thought of any change was unthinkable. When production of the first Pirates film, Curse of the Black Pearl, was announced, fans and critics alike were skeptical. Little did they know the incredible buried treasure they would soon discover. Walt was always willing to let his own vision be explored and developed by others, and these collaborations brought a true magic to the Disneyland Resort. The same goes for the Pirates film, which used the attraction as a springboard magical movie adventure. And now, the movies have inspired the attraction. Innovative special effects and popular characters Captain Jack Sparrow, his nemesis Captain Barbossa, the ghostly Davy Jones, and the legendary Blackbeard have been woven into the attraction's story. And that's it for Pirates of the Caribbean. Or um uh, a young girl once said to me, I'm going to go on Pirates of the caribbean I love Pirates of the Caribbeaner. And then she would say, instead of, this is not a joke either, she would say, uh, instead of ahoy mateys, I think she was probably two or three, uh, she would say, oi my keys, oi my keys. I'm not even making that up. Oi my keys, I'm a pirate of the carabiner. Oi my keys, oi oi my keys, <laughs> but you can't make that stuff up either. That's what's so great about oi my keys. <laughs> All right, hello hello, this is uh, Lord Tommen. Sir Tommen, coming in to you from uh, the Red Keep. can I say live? I've I've. Uh, I, I, I've, I, I'm, I'm, no one knows about our secret audio, uh, the person, uh, the, the master of, uh, what do you call yourself? The master of dreams? Uh, don't talk about that, Tom, and I told you that no one can, you, uh, this George R. R. Martin finds out about this. Uh, oh, okay, who's George R. Martin? Uh, never mind, I didn't, that's my, um, uh. That's where the king from the land I'm from. Oh, so this man that's here in my room, alone with young Tommen and and Sir Pounce, uh, he, he comes into my bedroom at night and he gives me this strange microphone and says, uh, Tell a story. And he said he's from the king, R. R. Martin is his king. But I'm not supposed to tell his king that he's in my room with a microphone. Which is what I'm talking into, and there's things on my ears. How? And how? What's the electrosai? Electrosai, is uh, he said it's powered by eels, which send signals through them. To uh... I'm afraid of the eels getting me though. Okay. Excuse us, folks. Okay, Tom, just. Ten, I'm not here. None of this is here. Remember, go off into the Pounce land. Sir Pounce wants you to be with him. Remember, I'm trying to... Just close your eyes. Imagine you're with Sir Pounce on an adventure. And then talk. That's all you gotta do. I'm not really here. Because this is just a dream you're having, remember? Okay, okay. This is Sir Pounce having a dream. And I already live a dream because of my best friend. is the greatest friend. A boy could ever have a cat called Sir Pounce, the greatest cat in the world, and the best friend a boy could have, Sir Pounce. Now, as I was talking before and in the past, in this dream, which doesn't feel like a dream, but anyway, telling about Sir Pounce because that's my job and he's still reminding me the most important job to keep Sir Pounce as my best friend is praising Sir Pounce and petting him on the ears. And this is the continuing tale of Sir Ponce and the Quest await. The tale of how Sir Ponce got a whisker from cats across Westeros to show a pirate that he shouldn't brag in, in too much or act like a jerk like Joff. Acts all the time. Uh, but Joff yeah, you know. I know some things Tom knows, and I know no much. Uh, a mother says I know nothing, and I'm not even good at being a boy, a little boy. What what is wrong? Why can't you just be a good boy? And I don't know what's wrong with me. And sometimes I wonder what is. Is there something? And uh, but Sir Bounce says, rap wound, which I think says, "Let the cat take your frown." Sir Pounce is around. That's a song I sing to pouncer but I can tell that unlike the pirate in this tale, Joff is afraid, afraid, afraid. I can see it and I can sense it. Sometimes you think, oh, is so afraid of getting in trouble for biting people or peeing off of balconies or taking his clothes off and screaming and holding his breath till he turns blue in the middle of a name day celebration. Never do that again. Uh uh um uh, but but I know so I know Joff's scared. So that's our secret. And what is no secret is Sir Pounce, the greatest cat in the world now. Sir Pounce had told me about a trip to May to a cold, cold place called the North. And Sir Pounce said in the North things are different and some people say, oh, the north is, you know, and Sir Pounce has been there. He's dealt with the grumps and the snarks and, and all those. But he said this trip to the north was, you know, to pluck a whisker or two or ten. And then Sir Pounce laughed. I said, well, I thought you only needed one. And then he laughed again. And he said, uh, you know, mind your P's and Q's, Tom, in the north's a big place. And there's a lot of cold cats there that need some warmth. And then he laughed again. And then he licked his paws and and rolled around and purred and purred and purred. And I said, What are you purring about, Sir Pounce? I'm not even pitting you. He said, Oh, I remember the North, Tom. And and let me tell you one little tale. So Sir Pounce said he went up to the North. And he said, People there, he said, They, you know, he said, they're really nice. But at first, they're not nice at all. And they say, What are you looking at? And who's you guys? What are you knows? You know, you guys, you know, what, hey, what are you doing on my lawn? But about said as soon as you say, hey, I'm just a walk in here, you know, how are you doing? How are you doing? Something like that, about said. Then they they get you get along good. You say, you know, what's up with those, uh, you know, those jerks down south? They think they know everything. And then he said, things are fine. And so Sapo said he was cruising around the north. He said he likes the northerners because uh, he said they're easy to joke with because they, uh, they take things so serious that uh, you know you can mess with them. And Pound said, you know around here, you know there's a you know not a lot of honest people, but the North's all honest. and there's a saying Pound said that you can never fool an honest man. And Pound said uh, he doesn't think that's true. Uh, But he said maybe it's not okay to fool, and I don't know. But so Sir Pound said he was cruising around the north. He said he was plucking whiskers and just leaving them because, you know, he said it was like plucking whiskers off off something about heat I didn't understand. Uh, But anyway, he said he got to this one place, and it was a cold, cold place, Sir Pound said, full of snow and the place where dreams go to die. And I said, oh, that scares me, Sir Pounce. And he said, it's a metaphor. Uh, and I said, what's that? And he said, anyway, he said, there was this uh, great snowstorm, Sir Pounce said, and he was trying to make it to this castle or a keep or some such place. And he said, he was in the snow, and the snow was making a howling noise with the wind. Now, Sir Pounce said, you know, he, he, he did, you know, he's like, I just keep moving, I stay warm, I pounce around. Uh, you know, pounced between some stuff. But I, I heard some cries, some cries, some high cries. And so said he booked it, ran real fast. And he said by the time he found, he found this log. And inside was a, a bundle of kittens and an old kitten mother. And he said, uh, "What you know, what's going on? They said, this log, we were in here. We had it all set up real nice. She said, you know, I'm not some bum I was taking care of my kittens and then this friggin' uh you know, there was some sort of wildebeest or something stepped on the log, cracked it, and now the wind's coming in. So Pond said, I'll tell you what, you know, this storm's gonna pass by in a few hours. I'll just I'll huddle in here with you and I'll put the back of my back against the snow and block out the wind with my back and keep you all warm. And so Pound said he did that and now. He might not know Sir pounce, but he has this whole spot on him, where the fur is a different color and a little thinner. And he said, "That's the, where the wind whipped him and burned him." And I said, "How does wind burn you?" He said, "Cold burns, Tom, and just like fire." And he said, "Don't, but don't research that either. Either one." And unfortunately, I did try to, uh, um, burn anyway. I, again, they said not to speak of it, or would do it again. Or are they, you know, the maester? Now I have to go talk to the maester, and he gives me some drinks. Oh, it's terrible stuff. Oh, but Sipounce says, just be quiet, Tom, and and play it, play like a fool, and uh, but don't burn or ch- freeze anyone, or try to burn freeze someone as you did. But anyway, uh so Sir pounce you know, he's got a spot on him now. But he saved these cats, these baby cats, kittens, and the mother. And then he said, hey, let's go, for, I'll, I'll go find a keep for you, and then I'll come back and get you. And he said when he came back, he goes, there was another kitten there. Well, usually older than a kitten, a young young lady with them. And she said, hey, I'm the oldest sister to this, uh, uh, whatever you call it, cast of cats, how you doing? And so Pound said, I'm doing just fine. And I'm here to escort this family, you, you're a member of this family. She said, well, I moved away. But, uh, you know, I, I was afraid this storm, I had this sense something horrible had happened. And I came to check on my family and, and you would save them. And Sipan said, don't worry about it, let's relocate because I got a feeling another storm's coming. And she said, well, I'd like to repay your generosity and kindness. And Sapan said, well, there's a storm coming and you can keep me warm. And Sapan said, that was the story, I took them to this keep, it was inhabited by some serious folk that we had to, you know, joke around with a bit, and once the kids found the kittens, they kept the kittens, and there was no wolves or anything, and then Sapan said, in those many nights uh, with that cat, was some of the greatest I've ever had, plucking whiskers, she was just, just, she was a wonderful lady, and, uh, Sir so Pound said, one day, Tommen, well, you might not ever understand any of this, but unfortunately, but I'm your protector, Tommen, and I'll keep protecting you because you're my best friend. And that's something I like about you, Tommen, and I just don't want those people. They're all trying to break you down, Tommen, and tell you what you are, but one day you're going to find out, Tommen, and it won't involve any of this strange. You're acting out, Tommen. And Sapounce is here, you don't need to act out, because I'll always be here. Just like that cat said, Anytime time you come to the north, stop on by. But I forgot the name of that town, and I don't need to remember it, because I'll always remember being there. Oh, I'm going to purr a lot more, Tom, and so just stay out, and stay away from me, because it could get crazy. Excuse me. And that was the tale of Supounce in the north, and the people of the north... And also the tale of how I burned that, uh, that, that uh, 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 cow with, uh, I said it was cold, but it was hot and I shouldn't have done it. And I am sorry. So that's it, uh, from Tommen. And, uh, we, hopefully the eels won't electrify me. And I'll be back again soon. Good night. I'll be listening to Sir Pounce purr and make those other groaning Sounds, what are you doing to my pillow, Sapounce? Sapounce is fighting my pillow with his hips. So I'll talk to you later. Good night. Hey, Crone, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Chester, it's me, um, uh, in again. And, uh, you know, I know we had that fallout at the beginning of the episode. I, I'll be honest with you, God, since you're the gods, you probably already know this. I'm still not calmed down. And I know I'm supposed to be a hum, an humble servitude, which I normally am. But just, I guess I'm bent out of shape a bit. Um, but I guess, again, I guess I need to see this for my, you know, s- s- fault. Or somehow this is my fault, Was what you probably say, since you're gods. Maybe I'm just thinking like Tom and would. But I guess I didn't get those boots. You know, I prayed for those boots originally, like for like the whole season, I think. And you never gave me the boots. separate that the fake hound would leave me alone. And, you know, that didn't work out. But uh, so I don't know. I'd like to, you know, I feel kind of worried. I guess I'm a fearful um, servant of you guys because I'm afraid you're going to get some kind of vengeance on me that I won't see coming. Now, it's one thing if we're going to do a face-to-face battle. Which wouldn't go well, because I don't know, there's like five of you, there's one of me. Crone, you'd probably do something crafty, because I, I don't even know if I could fight you. I probably could, though, because I have enough repressed anger against um, authority figures of of uh, older age. Uh, a lot of repressed repress rage, probably. So it probably be best if we don't fight. So let's just piece it out. Um Barky. I love trees. Like I said, I let down a couple birch trees in my life, which I'm apologizing for. Um, I did one time, me and uh, Ron, Ron K., I think it was fifth grade, we did a um, report on a box elder tree. So, and we think we got an A on that. And I remember I went to his house. So I think it was, might have been one of the only times I went to his house. He lived down in the country. And, um... It was great, great stuff. Spending the time with a box elder tree. I don't know if we, we probably included some stuff. Hopefully we just gathered it off the ground. I hope we didn't cut anything. Otherwise you'll be vengeful. But Barky, let's just make peace because I know you could drop stuff on my head, which would be no good, or trip me with branches, poke my eyes out. So I don't want to do any battle with trees. And I still got to get those DVDs back because, and plus like I, like I said, Barky, I think I got people that you like, like Groot. Who we've talked about Tree Beard. Um, there's probably other tree figures. Uh, I'm trying to think. If there's like a, I guess, a archetype of cartoon tree, evil trees, like Scooby Doo type stuff. But I'm sure maybe you, maybe not. Maybe they're misunderstood, and you could hang with them. So that's something. So let's just piece, piece it out, Barky. Jester, obviously I don't want to go up against you because the people that are only in season one and season two don't know who you really are. But you're cool, man. Like, way, you're like so much cooler than me. And I like, so I look up to you. You're like the smoothest smooth of the smooth. And then you passed away and you became the Jester God because you find so much amusing of our human, humanness. You find that amusing. And you're, you're totally like the bacchanalian type god that I can't, you know, quite get. I can't indulge in that anymore. So I like looking up to you, knowing that you're up there drinking wine and 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 ales and making sweet love to everybody um, except the maiden Miller. You know, I need I need to eat. I don't want to get grinded up in any mills myself. So again, I'm sorry. But I'm going to get – yeah, and Smith, obviously, I don't want to be melted down. I don't want to be rendered. I don't want to be made into a tool. You know, I'm already tooling enough. I, I don't want to be molded and, and I don't want to be molten. Just no doubt about it. Mol- molten person is no – I'm not going to do anybody any good, not even you guys. And then I want to be stuck in like one thing, like a sword – or even like a freaking something even boring, and then have to wait like eons for somebody to be like, "Hey, let's melt this down and make it into something cool, like a sword, a cool sword, like Jon Snow's sword, um, ice, ice, uh, ice thingamajig, or Stannis's sword, sword, lightbringer." And I don't, I don't necessarily want to be that sword because Stannis is kind of I like Stannis. He reminds me of my roommate from uh, New York and the Bronx, Chris, um, you know, very serious and, um, you know, literal. Uh, you know, he, he's not as bad as Stannis, though. So that's, um. so I don't want to, you know, again, I don't want to fight you guys. But again, it can't be just like, um, you know, I can't, I got to stand up to you every once in a while. Like I, you know, and i not even pretend stand up. Because what what you know, what would I be doing? Good you got gods. If I didn't tell you what you know, I'm like the onion knight here. I gotta tell you some truths every once in a while. now don't cut off my fingers, please. Please don't be cutting off my fingers. But, you know, how am I gonna deal with Cat Stevens? I'm just distracted. This week I didn't get anything done because my heart was um going out to people. There's a lot of um Okay, yeah, I guess I don't want to go down the whole philosophy uh, theology of, like, why is there suffering and why, you know, people have to get bad news or go through tough times because I know uh, you just – you guys just deal with the stuff in Westeros. And I got to be – that's the problem with bridging this friggin' gap between multiverses. It was a mistake um, because I guess – I don't know, is that what you're saying? You can't help me out here in the earth world? Because that's like a lot then I'm gonna have to have to, because that's a lot of praying. If I gotta pray to you guys and you know, re, you know, return to my original roots that I was racing or find some new roots, um, that's like a, a lot of uh a lot of higher powers. I mean, you guys were already frick, how many? What do you got? Crone, one, Miller Smith, Barkey. Oh, Jester. Did I miss anybody? Maiden. Barky, it's like every tree on top of that. Miller, I mean, it's like I get get a piece of bread. I feel like I got to, you know, say thanks, and I should. You know, I'm, I'm not great either. I'm sure there's the amount of uh, umbrage that someone could bring my way, and style, or, you know, any other style, and justified umbrage. That's what I like about Craig's Umbridge. Justifiable umbrage, you know there could be a lot of umbrage towards me. Maybe God's are mad at me, um, and that's fine. Go ahead, be mad. Go ahead. That's like a tactic that I don't appreciate. Let's just be, yeah. Let's truth telling a little more onion night. You know I don't appreciate it. I. I how do you do? I message. I feel. I feel what when you. I thought it was like Separate the person From the problem But you know If you're gonna get mad at me For being mad at you That's like the oldest trick In the book Gods Crone Come on You've been around long enough Like what You don't look You don't look a year Over a thousand crone You know You're serious a thousand million years No I'm just being hurtful now Serious You're gonna be mad about that But don't be mad at me I feel Angry when you're angry at me for being angry. Is that separating? No, that doesn't seem like productive. This is the kind of messages that never sink in for me, God. It's this whole um, diffusing, getting to yes type. I think I read that book. I highlighted a bunch of stuff in it, but like I know separate the person from problem, which sounds good when I say it. So then people are like, oh yeah, I like that guy's style. <laughs> that guy's sounds for separating the person from the problem. I'll, I respect him. But then, when it gets on the actual um, being effective or productive part, lost in translation, as they say. Um, so let's just call it even. How about that? No, that's not fair to Chelsea, Mark, Shannon. Um, but let's just call life, I guess, huh? And let's just know that they can. Count, well, I guess they can count on me to help them fall asleep. I'm your representative here in the earth world. Uh, maybe, because I'm, you know, I'm getting fed up. But, uh, you know, that's when a twist. Next week, there's going to be some twist for me to be so, oh, crone, totally unrink, you know, new wrinkle. There's a pun on purpose. New wrinkle from the crown. You know, <laughs> now I'm being pleased with myself, which means I'm going to be, you know, Full of miasma or whatever the hell it is. So um, and I thought I was going to use another one. What in the seven hells is going on here? Which brings up a whole nother question, God. And let's just do that. Let's say uh, discernment. I'm going to discern things. You discern stuff this, Pat, next week about me. If you don't want me as a servant, um, that could be a problem since I'm the one that came up with this kind of new twist on this religion. That's fine. We'll just go our separate ways. But I'll, you know what? No. No matter what, if you guys get sick of me, I'm going to keep it up here for you guys. You know, you're not perfect. Who said gods were perfect? Who came up with that? You know, maybe you don't have to be perfect. Okay. So, yeah. what, my, what Do I want perfect gods? No. Because, Maiden, if you were perfect, you would have got a hold of me already. So, and obviously, if you're perfect, um, That'd be a lot harder to love, because what would I be like? That's like a some. That'd be tough to be a narcissist. Narcissist looking into something your eyes, and then you're perfect and I'm not. That would cause some problems. Um. So let's discern things this past week. But I had a question for you guys, and you can discern and get back to me. When I was thinking of what in the heaven seven hells is going on, who's running the seven hells for you guys? Because I hear about all these, you know, gods. Is that R'hllor or the reaver god? Because R'hllor, they're trying to say lord of light. The night is, night is dark and full of terrors. So just wondering who's running the seven hells. Because I, I kind of have like an interest in that kind of stuff. It interests me. And the, the how, how stuff gets run down there. I don't know. It titillates my imagination. Um, and I have a couple people I could recommend if you don't got anybody down there. So that's it, uh, God. So I guess we're, we're in discernment mode again. I've, I don't. You know, um, next week I'll get back to working on praising your names, and getting rid of you know reestablishing balance, reestablishing balance in George R. R. Martin's universe so that he doesn't see that I screwed things up. And then I guess I got to quit with the bothering uh, Tom and uh, depending on what Mar he's got planned, maybe he doesn't have anything, Probably has stuff already happened that I don't know about so I'll do that I don't know if I can I like Tom and too much though he's just a great 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 you know I have a he he stirs my heart up I feel you know feel for him just like I feel for our friends Mark Chelsea Shannon okay so that's it we agree to um I agree to be disagreeable sometimes God's in the in the interest of truth to you and you can agree to smoke me, you go for it. And then if it triggers a war between us or you want to do it on some passive-aggressive way, like trip me and knock out a tooth or make it so me and the maiden never hook up or, you know, whatever, that's fine. Um, I guess I can deal with I've been dealing with it for my whole life. Um, you know, it's called human, 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 humanism, humanity, being a person. It's not easy down here. And maybe I'm, like I'm saying, I'm trying to open up my, discern you know, discerner for saying maybe you guys aren't perfect either. Maybe it's rough up there. And maybe that's why this whole religion got started because the friggin' father and the mother and the uh, warrior think they're so great. So, again, let's just remember uh, the haters that we're hating on, which is the father and mother. And, you know, that, and then we'll close it out with that. Um, I'm going to shake this. Let's shake this off God's. Shake off these Taylor swift metaphors for you know because it's otherwise you know I don't want to beat it beat it like overdo it okay so that's it i'm I'll, I'll be back to you next week and you know if I'm still around or you're still around because if you mess with me I do have bad temper but again I'm you know I'm hoping we get some this is just a you know bump in the road between our relationships all right good night.